Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. I would like to extend a very warm welcome to Jackie Wolf, who's my special guest today. Jackie is the owner at JH Wolf Consulting, a firm that specializes in talent management and human resources consulting. Jackie, thank you for spending this time with me. So excited for our conversation on the air here. Thank you. It's, I'm very happy to be here today. You are an amazing person. I have already learned uh, you're highly motivated in every part of life. I think one of the, the areas that stood out most to me uh, I was actually thinking of you a bit this morning as my wife and I went on a hike. Uh, it was not 100 kilometers, however. Uh, you are an ultra runner is, is one of the things that you shared with me as we got to know each other a little while back. So that's exciting. And anyway, so I'd love to hear more about that. And whatever other highlights that would help our listeners get to know you a bit for this first couple minutes, and then we'll pursue some other topics. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I am a, I'm one of those crazy trail runners and ultra runners. I both do road and trail running, and I have my first 100K coming up this December. Um, so we'll see how I do. It'll be it'll be perpetual loop, so I don't know how exciting that one's going to be. But I, I do have a 50K to train for that one in September, and that'll be a full trail run. So exciting, exciting about that. Um yeah, and a couple other little things about me, too. I've had the opportunity before I started my consulting practice to work in corporate America for 30-plus years, all in the human resources profession. And the last uh, 15 of those years, I was a chief human resources officer for large you know, Fortune 70-type companies, petrochemical companies, um, healthcare companies, et cetera. So I had that opportunity to lead and um, have staffs as small as 100 and as large as 500. So got a lot of good learnings in that area and learned a lot about myself along that journey. Awesome. No, that's great. I have to ask about the running thing just a little further because I, I'm not, uh, I hate running on tracks. I know it's not a track. You said it's a loop, but how big is the loop? Like how many times would you have to go around to make up the 100K? Oh, you're going to love this. It's only a half mile loop. <laughs> oh, really? So yes. it is it's, pretty it's, intense. It's very, yeah. It's, um, it's down at a lake where I, where, near where I live in Texas. And so you just do this little half mile loop and, and you talk about, I don't even know how many, I've not even counted how many loops that's going to take on purpose because I think it'll drive <laughs> me crazy. I'm not going to count. I'm just going to go. <laughs> so. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think we, I, sh- I shared with you, uh, a bit about my friend, uh, James Lawrence, uh, who's known as the Iron Cowboy. I don't know if he would consider me a friend. He might not even remember me, but I used to co-own a company that was sponsored him when he was first getting started in his career. But one of the things that I'm amazed by with with him and with what you're doing is just the mental strength and kind of that that inner ability to to push through pain, to push through doubt, to push through fear. And I think there's just so much connection with those characteristics on, in kind of a physical sense and, and how they translate over into just life and business and leadership and everything. So I, I'm just curious, are there any, like, I guess, common themes that come up over and over again in your mind uh, that you would love to impart uh, wisdom on, I guess? I, don't, I didn't ask that very well, but <laughs> hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> you, you did. And in fact, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot of parallels, I think, when you set out on a goal and a task 
that whether it's running or whether it's a career. And I, I think of them both the same way because I mean, once you recognize you want to do something, so let's say I want to be a chief human resources officer or I want to run a hundred K you, you begin to step back and you say, okay, how am I going to achieve those goals? And I think there's choices that we have to make along that way. And some of those choices are already set for us or some may say predetermined or described. So for what that means, for example, if I'm going to go run this 100K, I can research it and I'm going to learn, okay, I have to train well, I have to eat well, I have to make sure I don't get injured along the way, I have to sleep well, I have to do all the fun things such as tempos and hill running and speed work. Well, it's no different if you're going to do the parallel with the job because when I say, okay, I want to be a chief human resources officer, I had a goal set. I wanted to be it by the age of 40. And so I told myself, okay, I have choices that I can make, but then there's sacrifices that I'm going to have to make along the way. And so some of those are already described for me, such as moving where the job is, um, taking the assignments that no one ever wants because you're going to learn the best from them. Um, the other parallel I have is, you know, you kind of bloom where you're planted. You set the roots, you build from those roots, and you grow and you develop, and you're patient. And patience is part of the career and part of the running. You have to be able to do that. Um, and the other parallel is I find people I can emulate or people that I admire, whether it's the best master's female runner or elite runner that's out there, and I watch. And I train and I follow them, similar to a career. I find the best chief human resources officer that I can emulate and admire, and I follow them. So there are, you're right, Spence, there's a lot of parallels with kind of that drive that needs to be put in place for a runner as for a career. Hmm. Beautifully put. I, I love just how you elaborated on the on the principle there for us and just such a I, I guess there's just a lot of substance there, a lot to think about and a lot to, to grab hold of and put into practice. I, I just like how you started describing it by saying, identifying what you want, basically. I, I want X, you know, whatever, insert your goal here, and then just laying it out and being willing to climb the hill, you know, metaphorically speaking, yep. and literally <laughs> for you yeah, literally. Uh, run, <laughs> run the hill up and down, I guess. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. It's just a great way to be inspired early on here in our conversation. So thanks for sharing. That's, that's tremendous. Um, so I know that, um, you've got certain areas that are, again, as I said, in the intro, you focus on talent management, human resources, consulting. Um, what, uh, what's exciting, I guess, what are you working on these days that really is, is thrilling for you? And what are you seeing in those specific disciplines that, that are just, uh, unique, I guess, as the, the times we're living in? Oh, boy, that's a great question, because what we're seeing today, the work I'm doing today, I'm doing a lot of fractional chief human resources officer assignments. So I have a couple clients that I work with. And what we're seeing now is most of the companies, as you know, we just lived through this pandemic with COVID. And we're still kind of coming out of it as a country. And so many, many companies had been sitting idle for a long time just to survive, you know, working remotely. And now guess what? everybody's coming back live. So the companies I'm working with are helping them look at, okay, how do you shift from this remote work now and bringing people back in the office? And what does that look like? Another big area of attention that we're focusing on is diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
you know, we came also off of a year of a lot of social unrest, a lot of issues that have been occurring in our country. And now companies are finally recognizing, wow, this is a business imperative. And how do I get my hands around it? So I'm helping companies think that through strategically and putting in the operating model to address that. And the other thing I'd say, the third thing is helping for growth. Because a lot of the companies now are coming back on and strong and they're ramping up. So how do they pivot quickly? I mean, how do they hire the people they may have furloughed that already got jobs? Um, how do they find the talent that's out there? You know, and we also know talent is scarce because of the the situation where people, you know, need to earn more money in order to continue to pay those pent up bills that they've accumulated. So how do you have the right salary set and benefits set? So it's been extremely exciting and challenging to help these companies think through these issues that they're facing. Hmm. Well, I, I love your just your naturally optimistic way of describing it, uh, exciting and challenging as opposed to frustrating, depressing. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure there's probably moments of, of those negative emotions as well. Anyway, I just admire that. It's awesome. Uh, I, I really would love to dig a little bit more into the diversity, equity and inclusion, just because it is something that I don't think you can ignore. I mean, unless unless you have your eyes totally shut, it's front and center on the, the world stage, I think, in so many ways. But how does a company really take it from concept to execution, I guess, is my question. You know, it's the idea of, of making sure we're careful in our practices so that we're not isolating a certain group uh, based on any criteria. Anyway, whatever that, that was very general, but that's kind of the overall idea behind it. But that's just this vague kind of a concept. And so how do you, where, where do we, where do we get it down to the level where it's tactical and we can actually start to make better decisions based off of uh, practices that are so important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, let me start off with, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is much more than a moment. It's a mindset. And, and I think of it as, as the way I can wrap my head around this is, is I remember working for companies where safety always was relevant and important. Safety first, goal zero, and it had to become the mindset of the company and not a moment. And, and through a lot of practice and reinforcement, it became more of that mindset. I think DEI is the exact same thing. It's much more than a moment. And, organizations need to recognize that this becomes a business imperative. It's a way of life. How do they recognize diversity in the workplace? How do they ensure that they have equity? You know, that fairness around of giving people the same opportunity where they can be successful. And of course, belonging. It's all about inclusion. To make it stick, you know, you got to have sticky stickiness to this as we think about it. There's a lot of things that companies can do, and it depends on where they're at in the maturity level. Many companies have been focusing on this for a long time, so they're at a pretty good maturity level. But some of those companies that are just now starting to say, wow, there's a lot more I need to do, they're going to start probably more with what I would like to consider phase one. That's going to be building out training and development that talk about building awareness defining what DE&I is, talking about unconscious bias, the microaggressions and what they look like. So training everybody up and leveling them up of what is it? 
And then from there, same one, phase one, they can build out the right type of metrics. You know, how do they want to continue to measure diversity, equity, inclusion? And that can be things such as engagement surveys, getting the pulse of the organization. Do people feel they're being treated fairly? Do people believe they have access to the same opportunities? You know, those kind of things. Um, They can build out succession plan metrics to make sure they have diversity, recruiting practices, promotional practices, fair pay practices. Those are what I would call more of that phase one to be able to really build out DE&I in the organization. And the more mature organizations are going to continue to layer upon that and build more and more either measurements or, like we said, that mindset. You know, looking across the room, for example, if they're in a board, what does the board composition look like? What does the C-suite composition look like? You know, what does the workplace look like? So it just builds upon it. Okay, wonderful. No, I love, yeah, again, that's so helpful, again, for me to continue to learn. And I hope I'm confident also our listeners, uh, I, I just, I think it's, it's so powerful to break it down into those incremental uh, component parts. You know, we could take something as simple as the old, uh, I, I work with a lot of smaller companies, um, family owned in a lot of cases, or probably held at least. And so how would you address a situation and if you don't like this, just tell me and we'll move on. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, a situation where it's like the boss's kid or nephew or niece or best friend, you know, it's a personal relationship to someone in a senior leadership role. Uh, how do you make sure that just the E, you know, the equity piece, uh, that, that things are handled appropriately in that situation? And it's not just a, a favoritism based on a personal relationship or family connection or or something like that, because I think that's one of the common things that uh, especially smaller privately held companies right. tend to struggle with a bit. Yeah, and in fact, um, several of the companies I work for, because you know, I, I you know, with the consulting practice I have, a lot of times it is privately held companies, you know, and and there are family relationships that are inside these these companies because they are family owned, and so the last two I've worked for were like that, and they had family members. I think the biggest thing is is Raising the level of awareness and consciousness of what it looks like, first and foremost, because people are going to automatically come in and probably have the perspective of bias that just because they're a relative, they have favoritism. So there's going to be an inherent bias because of that. Mm -hmm. So raising the level of awareness to the CEO or the owner of the company that, look, people are going to automatically perceive this is going on that they got the job because they're the son, the daughter, the brother, the sister, the wife, the husband, whatever. And, and being able to have those candid conversations, you know, with the owner and the CEO of those perceptions that are out there. And then the second thing is, regardless of the size of the company, I do think that uh, nepotism policies are good to have in place that talk about things such as, the relative should not report to another relative, you know, and building in, you know, those kind of organizational structures to avoid that perception or to avoid that possibility of occurring, you know, having practices in place, um, such as pay practices and compensation practices that follow a methodology. So that way they don't arbitrarily get an increase just because they're a relative, that it's equitable and fair how increases are done. And whether it's a 10-person company or a 300-person company, 
having practices in place and somebody who's going to call it out is important. I always say an HR person has to have the role where they're going to tell the leader that the emperor has no clothes because no one else may want to tell him or her. And so they have to have that courage to be able to go tell them, hey, look, this is the perception that's out there. Let's talk about the reality now and let's deal with it. Hmm. Such powerful advice. Again, once again, just uh, so so uh, applicable. And I think in organizations of any size, uh, the different principles you've just touched on. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit, but I think it's related to what you just shared. Um, we, we talked a bit off the air just about having to strike this, the right balance as a, a senior HR lead, leader, uh, typically, again, in the current context, uh, CHRO, uh, historical, I guess, and also current in a, in a fractional sense. Uh, how do you strike that balance where you're representing management, like you have to do what's best for the company, but you also need to make sure that mostly your team, but uh, you know, through them, that you are uh, advocating for employees and, and having that, that balance um, and again, that, I think that includes dirty work. It includes some of the hard changes like layoffs and, and restructures or whatever that people may not enjoy. But do you have any, any words of wisdom for those that may be struggling with that, not only from an HR practitioner standpoint, but also leading, leading the organization through that? No, absolutely. Yeah, that's becoming, that's the balance advocacy role that we play, especially sometimes as managers or as human resources practitioners. And it's, it's I always use it as I'm walking the tightrope. You know, and you have to be able to know which side of that tightrope you're walking on when you're dealing with situations. Because you're right, you're you're a management advocate and at the same time an employee advocate in the role that I sit in as well. So part of it is going to be, I think, very clearly is you have to be objective. Um, I think you have to be pragmatic and you have to look at each situation um, as a situation itself, as the case that is presenting it. So let's let's use for the example a situation where you may have to do a layoff. You know, those are the the, the dirty work, so to say, that I think managers have to do or HR practitioners have to do because the business is in a downturn, or you have to furlough. Um, and sending that message and having those conversations with employees is absolutely critical on how it's handled. It's And you have to be compassionate. You have to have high integrity. Um, you have to have high empathy and listening skills and having those conversations with the employees during those times. I can recall a plant closure when I was working in the corporate side that is 200 person plant in a small town. So not a lot of opportunities that they can go to. And I was flown in and had to do that work and had to make the announcement um, for the company. But what I did before I made that announcement, I actually went up to the plant and stayed there for three months. Hmm. I planted myself in the plant. Um, they knew why, you know, they knew it was odd because here's this person coming in and they didn't know what I was doing there. But what I was doing is getting to know the employees, building those relationships understanding each person's skill. It was about a 200-person plant, give or take, and and getting to know the local community. What are jobs these employees can go to? And I did. I built out this binder, you know, that just walked through, okay, here's how you can file for unemployment. Here's what's going to happen to your benefits. Here's the chamber information. Here's how you can post for jobs. And that um, I was their point of contact to help them through the process after the announcement. 
and I'll never forget, because um, this was a big deal in the plant. The media was in the parking lot. You know, this was before social media days even. So the media is <laughs> in the parking lot, and, and as the employees walked out, the media got news that we were going to shut the plant down. They're sticking the microphones in everyone's face. So well, how do you feel about this? You just lost your job. And I remember the employees saying to the media, they're going, yeah, but look, I got this binder, and it's going to walk me through what I need to have to help me find a job. So it became a crutch for them. Hmm. And and the media didn't have a negative thing to say because we were there to help them through the process. Hmm. So I think the, the lesson that I learned is during these tough decisions we have to make is treating people with dignity and respect and compassion and giving them something to look forward to that they'll get there and they'll land on their feet. It was a, it was a big lesson for me early career. Oh, what a powerful story. You know, hard situation, but you made the most of it and were able to really advocate for people. And, and I feel like that's ultimately what people want. Uh, they want to feel like they have an advocate. They want to feel informed and supported. They want to ultimately make a difference. And obviously with the plant shutting down, you can no longer make a difference here. And so having someone who's willing to help you bridge the gap between current impact, I guess you could say, or contribution to a new type of impact and contribution, like that, that's just powerful. That's just good uh, good, uh, living. I mean, you know, just, just being a good human being and being there for people. So I think that's amazing. So uh, I'm curious too, one of the things you said a, a few minutes ago, you talked about, you listed off a few different skills that are especially important with someone who is working in, in your type of space. And it's it, going to, whether that's a, even HR business partner level or senior HR leadership level, uh, have you noticed any shift in skills I guess I'm most mostly actually thinking of the at the employee level. Have you noticed a shift in skills that are starting to cause you concerns where there's not as much skill perhaps with something like empathy or something like um, listening or active communication? Or is, is there any type of a skill drought coming, I guess, you know, with, with new generations maybe is a way to say it, yeah. yeah. You know, interestingly, I don't see it on the behavioral side. Hmm. The technical side, we do see some skill shortages in certain technical areas. But those are, I, I believe, you know what, we can teach people that. Sure. You know, um, but I, I do think managers, no matter what level they're at and what generation they're in, you know, whether the, the you know, the five generations we live with and work with every day now I think supervisor and managers always need refreshers along mm. their journey and they, they need to have reminders and it could be through, do, done through training classes, mentorships and relationships, even reverse mentoring to relearn those behavioral skills, whether it's how to be empathetic, how to listen active, I mean, really actively listening. Um, how does respect show up in the workplace? Those kind of things. So I do think those refresher courses are good for any generation, whether they're new coming in or whether they're traditional generalists, you know, Gen Z's and Gen X's and Gen Y's. I mean, all of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good news. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Part of what's in my head in, in asking it uh, is just thinking of the impact of social media on the way employees communicate with each other. Yeah. I, I love that you shared that there's really not a major gap, I guess, coming that you've perceived. So that, that's good news. I don't see it. But, you know, to add to that, too, I do think, you know, communications approaches have changed. There's no doubt on that. 
Um, so I think managers need to be much more effective in ways to communicate. The mediums to communicate are very different today. The messaging may be the same, but maybe it's a broadcast text or maybe it's, uh, you know, emails, some cases and that, but the traditional, you know, uh, it has changed. But I do find people still prefer, even though, you know, you're on your text messages and we use it all the time like that too. But in the workplace, nothing beats face-to-face communications. I think it's very, very important. And whether it's a town hall meeting or one-on-one, it's way more effective. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's refreshing to hear. Again, we we're in this place now where a lot of companies are moving forward with a hybrid model. A lot of the even large companies have chosen to completely sell off uh, real estate assets and things yeah. and just stay virtual. But I love that you called out that there still is a, a significant value uh, with in-person compared to hundred percent virtual. Again, you can get a lot done virtually, thankfully for the technology oh, yeah. tools that are available and all that, but just that eyeball to eyeball. Uh, oh. Anyway, sure. I think there's something to that for sure. Just being able to Absolutely. read all that, all that goes with it. So that's, that's yeah. good to keep that in mind. Um, so I'm curious too, just in thinking about the action side of all of this, we've talked about several kind of disparate, uh, topics and there's certainly relation between them, but, uh, what can we, what can you, what would you like to present to our listeners that they can grab hold of and go and apply immediately to become more aware, uh, be a better advocate for their people, uh, make more of a contribution as leaders? Yeah, I think. You know, I think uh, experience brings wisdom <laughs> and uh, and failures. And so along the way, I've had many, many, many failures. I've stumbled a lot as a leader. I've learned a lot as a leader. I had to stub my toe many, many times. So I think I think I want to leave people thinking about leadership is truly a privilege. It's It's not an entitlement. It has to be earned. And I think when it's given, you have to treat it like a gift. But in order to get that gift, you I, I think of it in a couple of ways. Um, there's things that leaders can control about themselves. So say, for example, their attitude and their moods. You know, if they had a bad day, a bad weekend, they can't bring that in and have it resonate and influence their employees. They've got to forget about that. That's important. Um, I think leaders and managers have to be truly aware of their conscious and unconscious biases. And they have to know what's below that iceberg, you know, the typical iceberg below the waterline. They have to know what's below the waterline and be able to address that and not let it show, you know, and to be able to build it. I think this one is important. The building those relationships along their journey and their career is very important. Um, and having a high likability factor. People Mm want to work with people they like to be around. That was one of my lessons learned. I was not that person at one point in my career. I was a command and control and autocratic person as I was learning on my journey because I didn't know any better. And as I learned along the way and I fell many times, I learned about this likability factor and it becomes really important because employees want that and they want their manager to be fair and empathetic at times. I mean, still driving to get results, but, you know, making sure that they're with them and being part of them is very mm-hmm. important. So, and, and don't ever forget, I think you can control your health, you know, be on top of your health, your mindset, 
you know, whether it's mindfulness, but taking those breaks and thinking inward is very important and it calms you. That's why I run. <laughs> That's how yeah. I get my stress out. That's why, but it does take me a hundred miles. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's such, it's such wonderful counsel. And, and again, several uh, potential challenges or action items there that uh, listeners can yeah. kind of look at as a little menu and pick one of those and, and go yeah. put it to work. I'm so grateful, Jackie. Thank you for taking this time. It's been a ton of fun. I've learned a tremendous amount from you and just really excited to, to now know you and for our listeners to hopefully get to know you. Speaking of, how can people connect with you if, if they'd like to get in touch? Yeah, probably a couple of ways. You know, of course, my LinkedIn profile, look me up on LinkedIn. It's under Jacqueline Wolf. That would be great. Um, or email me. They can send me an email at Jackie.Wolf at JHWHRConsulting.com. Happy to have anyone reach out and help and assist any way I can and just kind of brainstorm and talk about leadership. Okay, terrific. We'll make sure to put those details in the show notes so it's easy for people to get in touch. And, and once again, just so grateful you, you spent this time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.